In, if you are a visitor here and you're thinking, who is this joker? I'm the joker who's taking our youth to New Day next week, which will be great fun. Um, we're going to enjoy ourselves. Um, hopefully the kids aren't going to keep me awake all night long. Um, I will get some sleep. We'll also have some fantastic times engaging in worshipping God. We'll have some uh, fantastic world-class preaching and teaching from some people. And we're going to have fun. But this morning you've got me teaching you. And we're going to be continuing in our series, The Real Jesus. We're in part 25 of this series. So hopefully by now, those of you who are regulars will know that this is a series where we're trying to engage with, get to know and understand the real Jesus, the genuine article. We don't want to counterfeit Jesus, we don't want to fake Jesus, we don't want one that we've just made up or we've got from other sources. We want to make sure we get down to business with the real Jesus. And we're doing that by going through what's known as Matthew's Gospel in the New Testament. So if you've got a Bible, if you could flip open to Matthew chapter 12... If you haven't got a Bible, please just put your hand in the air and Ron is poised to give you one of our lovely little red numbers. No one? One over here. Apart from that, we're good to go. So we're on Matthew chapter 12 and if you have got one of our church red Bibles, it's page 977. And while you turn there, I just want to tell you a story. Now it's not a true story, okay, but it's a story nonetheless. And this is a story about a businessman. And this businessman goes away on holiday to a tropical island. And while he's at this tropical island, he's going for a walk around, he walks by the beach, and he sees this fisherman coming to shore. And the fisherman's tied up his boat, and he comes in, he's got these two massive fish. Chris, you're a fisherman, what kind of fish might they be? doesn't know any. He's a fisherman. He doesn't know. Let's say they're tuna. He's got two massive tuna fish with him. And he's carrying them along. And the businessman sees him. And he goes, wow, how long did it take you to catch those? And the fisherman went, um, he's foreign, okay? He went, um, in his generic foreign accent. He goes, not long. And then the guy went, wow, well, what do you do with the rest of your day? He goes, oh, I, I have a lion. I I get up, I do some fishing, and then I come back and I spend some time with my family, my wife, my kids. And the the businessman thought, and he went, do you know what? If you just spent a little bit more time out each day, you could catch more fish. And with the more fish you get, you can sell on as a profit. And with the profit, you could then buy a better boat, better equipment, you could catch more fish. And then when you've catched so much fish, you can make so much money, you can get more boats, employ people. You could get a whole business going here. And over 20 or 30 years, you could build up this massive business that will bring in tons and tons of cash. Local fishermen went, that seems like a lot of work. Why would I want to do that? And the business went, that's the genius of it. Because when you've built up your business, you'll be able to sell it off, make all your money, and then you'll be able to retire, move to a tropical island, go fishing, have lions, and spend time with your family. Now, that's a ridiculous story, isn't it? But it's surprising when we look at our own lives, we see the things in life that we chase after, which is meant to eventually give us rest and make life easier, when in fact... They're just making life harder. The world is full of people who are tired, weary, busy and burnt out. People 
in Lewis are even overworked and underrested. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're feeling tired or burdened, like Doreen was speaking about earlier. Well, there's good news, because what we are going to look at is we're going to continue from what Rich covered last week when he talked about Jesus being our rest. Where Jesus said at the end of chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 21, and we're going to be looking at a day for tired people. A day for tired people. We're going to be looking at a topic called of the Sabbath. Okay? And we're going to ask ourselves three questions this morning. We're going to ask ourselves, what is the Sabbath? What should we do on the Sabbath? And what does this actually tell us about the real Jesus that we're trying to get involved? So I'm just going to read and then, we're, and then I'll pray and we'll get stuck in. So starting at verse 1, chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees, they're the religious guys, when they saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He, Jesus, answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, If any of you has a sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you that we can come here this morning, we can hear how we can find true rest, how we can relieve ourselves from those burdens in our lives. I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us here this morning and you would help me deliver your word well and clear. Amen. So here in this passage, we've got the classic grudge match. We've got the age-old battle of the Pharisees, the religious guys, against Jesus. And this isn't the first time we've seen this battle. We've seen it before in Matthew chapter 9, where there was the battle over the genuine right for the forgiveness of sins. But here, the battleground is the Sabbath. What happens is Jesus and his disciples, they're walking on the Sabbath, they're going past some grain fields, and they feel hungry. 
So they just pluck themselves some heads of grain and start eating. Now this was allowed, okay? This wasn't like me starting to feel a bit peckish, so I walk into Tesco's and help myself to a load of free pre-packed sandwiches. Okay? This was allowed, because in those days, the edges of the fields, they weren't harvested. They were left so that those who were travelling, those who were poor, those who had no food, could go get some food and satisfy their need. But the Pharisees, they're acting like investigative journalists. They're trying to get some dirt on Jesus. They're acting like the news of the world, guys. They're, maybe they're trying to hack his phone or something. But then they're sneaking along and they spot Jesus' disciples getting this heads of grain and eating. And they jump out from nowhere. They go, aha! You're breaking the law on the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath was a big deal. The Sabbath was a day of rest at the heart of what it meant to be a Jew. It was in the Ten Commandments, it was commandment number four, and there was serious punishment to be had if you broke this commandment, even at times to the point of death. So if you were a devout Jew, like these Pharisees were, then you would take the Sabbath incredibly seriously. But Jesus also took the Sabbath seriously. In fact, Jesus fulfilled it perfectly. In Matthew 5 verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Or we could put in there the Sabbath. He says, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus perfectly embodies that Sabbath day of rest. The Pharisees, when they accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath, well, they've missed the point. They've got the wrong end of the stick. So we want to make sure this morning that we do get the right end of the stick, that we understand what the Sabbath is. So we're going to ask our first question this morning. What is the Sabbath? What's its reason What's its purpose for existing? What actually is the Sabbath? For us to understand this, we need to go right back into the first week ever. If we look in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you don't need to turn there, but in Genesis 1 and 2 we see that God creates the world and everything in it in six days. You name it, God made it. And then we see the seventh day, which was a Saturday, God ceased working. He takes some rest. Now this isn't because God suddenly come over a bit tired, a bit weary. It's not God up there in heaven going, man alive, that creation malarkey is real tough work, I'm shattered. I just need to sit down on my throne, put my feet up, put the kettle on, have a brew. And just relax. That's not what's going on in God's mind. Instead, what he's doing is he's laying down a principle. He's giving us a model on how we should live our lives. We should have six days work, one day rest. Now, I'm not really going to engage with the argument of should we have the Sabbath on a Saturday or a Sunday or any particular day of the week. But what I'm going to talk about is a principle which I hope 
everyone's noticed in their lives. I've certainly noticed it in my life. And that is for me to work properly, for human beings to work properly. We need rest. We need recuperation. Those who don't take rest, those who don't take a Sabbath, they can often have one sort of imposed on them by ill health or other things. We get early warning signals. We feel tired. We've got a short fuse. We feel a bit crabby. We're stressed. We're hungry. It's all telling us, you're burnt out and you need to take some rest. You need a Sabbath. So how are you this morning? Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you in need of a Sabbath? The point of the Sabbath is to take one day a week and set it aside for rest, relaxation and refocusing on God. Because the Sabbath is more than just rest. Think about Adam, the first person who was ever made by God, who ever existed. His first day on the planet Earth, he was created on day six. His first full day was this seventh day. It was the Sabbath. Now this certainly wasn't because, because Adam was tired. He hasn't done anything yet. He's barely existed. Instead, he, his first day was the Sabbath to show Adam a major lesson, to show us a major lesson. It was that he should rest in the finished work of God. And that's the point of the Sabbath. It's to rest from our works because God has already worked for us. If you're a believer in Christ, the Sabbath isn't found in a day of the week. It's found in Jesus. Where we can rest from trying to earn our salvation and make ourselves good enough for God and rest in his finished work on what he's done for us. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not following Jesus in your life, you've not given your life to him, then you can't earn that rest from God. You can't earn that ultimate rest which is found only in Jesus. Instead, you rest from the fear of the wrath of God, you rest from trying to earn your own salvation and you Sabbath by trusting in the finished work of Jesus and what he did on the cross at Calvary where he cried out just before he died, it is finished. There's nothing more anyone needs to do to earn their salvation to God. If you trust in Jesus, you will receive spiritual rest for your soul. So the Sabbath It's not a law for the Christian to obey, but it's a gift of grace for us to enjoy. But the Pharisees, these guys have taken this day of resting in the work of God and they've ruined it. They've added to it with a list of rules and regulations. You'd have thought that they'd hear that God says to them, hey, take a day off. And they'd go, fantastic, let's have a nap. Instead, they went, we need nap rules to make sure it's enforced. You see, they'd taken something that was good on its own and they'd ruined it. It's like cake, okay? 
a couple of weeks ago, I had a birthday, and I got given two fantastic cakes from people in the church. And they were delicious. They were fabulous on their own, okay? When these people came to me and they said, here's a gift, it's some cake. That's fabulous. I love it. Cake doesn't need rules. It just needs a fork. If that. If that. If they'd have come to me and they said, here's a gift of cake, but you must eat this with a spoon, not a fork. You must hold the spoon in your left hand and you can only eat the cake on Tuesdays and Thursdays between 4 and 4.15 while hopping on your right leg. They would have taken this rule and they said, if you broke any of the rules, you've broken the cake law and there will be punishment. You've taken a gift. You've made it a burden to me. This is what the Pharisees had done with the Sabbath. They'd taken this day of resting in the work of God and they ruined it by saying you can't write more than one word. You can't walk more than this distance. You can't lift anything. You can't carry anything. You will be breaking the Sabbath. They'd taken something which should have been awesome and they'd made it terrible. They turned it into salvation through works. The Pharisees see Jesus and his disciples picking this grain and they say, that's harvesting. That's working. That's breaking the Sabbath. When in reality, they were enjoying a free gift of God's grace providing for their need on that Sabbath. So we know that the Sabbath is a time set aside for rest, relaxation and looking to God. So let's ask our second question this morning. What should we do on the Sabbath? See, the Pharisees, they had a load of rules of things you should not do on the Sabbath. You cannot set a fire. You cannot carry heavy weights. You cannot walk more than this distance. They even had some ridiculous rule about you cannot move your arms too much. I don't know how that's implemented. I don't know if that means you've got to keep your arms at your side the whole day and not move them at all, or whether you can only move them from the elbows and look like an idiot. I don't understand. It's a ridiculous rule, and they had loads of them. You cannot do this. We're not going to do that this morning. We're not going to look at what you cannot do on the Sabbath. We're not going to look at the things that are prohibited. Instead, we're going to look at the things that, you ex- that are expressed you should do on the Sabbath. This is what you are to do on the Sabbath. Because the Pharisees, they're accusing Jesus' disciples of breaking it. And Jesus says to them, look, you haven't really understood it. You've missed the point. In fact, he accuses these guys who teach and understand and have memorised their Old Testament. He says, you don't even understand your Old Testament. Because in verses 3 and 4, he says, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Jesus reminds these religious guys of a specific instance in the Old Testament, of David. This is the guy who defeats Goliath. He's a big name in the Old Testament. This is the guy who grows up and becomes king of Israel. He's a big guy. But here in this moment, he's not king. 
In fact, he's on the run from the king Saul, who's out to kill him. And David's on the run with a load of guys, and it's the Sabbath, and he's going, we're hungry, we've got nothing on us, we've got no food, what do we do? And he goes to the place where God dwelt physically in the nation. He goes to where there's the tabernacle, and he goes and he finds a priest, and he says, me and my boys, we're hungry, what have you got? And the priest turns out his pockets, he looks around, he goes, do you know what, I've got nothing except this, this consecrated bread. And what's that? Well, that was bread that was given as a gift to God in worship. And it was only really for the priests to eat. But the priest said, do you know what, I know it's the Sabbath, you're hungry, you haven't got anything, have this. And do you know what? Jesus says that neither the priest who gave them the bread, nor David and his men who ate the bread on the Sabbath, that holy day where there's not meant to be any work, they didn't do anything wrong. They're innocent. So this is the first thing we're to do on the Sabbath. We're to be refreshed, not religious. Are you taking time this morning to be refreshed? To have a a Sabbath and recharge your batteries, to refresh yourselves physically, emotionally and spiritually. Because Jesus and his disciples, they're hungry from their long journey and it was more important for them to be refreshed and eat the grain than to accommodate man-made religious rules. You need to look around and find what refreshes you and then make time for it in your life. And what refreshes you might not be the same as what refreshes me. For me, I like to go for walks over the downs. I like to have a bit of a lie-in in bed. I like to read good books. And that refreshes me. For you, rest might be talking and spending time with friends it might be reading a good book it might be spending time with your family it might be going for walks it might be uh, taking a nap in the afternoon it might be going for a nice drive in the countryside it might be sitting down having a good cup of tea could even be watching some telly find what refreshes you and make time for it See, the disciples in this story, they needed to be refreshed so that they could continue on with their journey with Jesus. You're no different. You need to be refreshed so that you can continue on in your journey with Jesus. The next thing we're called to do is to respond in worship. Jesus goes on and he again mocks the Pharisees for not really knowing their Old Testament. And he says in verse 5, Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? The Pharisees require complete cessation, complete stop of work. You can't do anything on the Sabbath. The Pharisees 
They said, you can't carry this much weight. You can't set up fires. You can't prepare food. But the priests in the temple, they break all of these rules. They walk around loads. They build fires. They kill animals for sacrifices. They lift wood. They run the temple as they would day to day. And they did all of this on the Sabbath. The Pharisees had so burdened the people with Sabbath regulations that responding in worship was the least of their thoughts. People were more concerned about breaking a regulation than seeing the Sabbath day as a place to respond in worship. The priests were allowed to work to praise God in the temple. But verse 6, I tell you, one greater than the temple is here. We get to worship God through Jesus. How much more are we able to work to worship God on the Sabbath? So that if you're a Christian, you're called to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And in life, we've got days where we've got to work, we've got jobs, which we've got to provide for families. We've got to keep the house in order. We've got washing up to do. You might have school to go to. And if we're not careful, we can allow these things, which in themselves are good, but they can squeeze out time for us to worship God. We can use them as an excuse to not worship God. So the Sabbath is a day where we can respond to God in worship without distraction. Just as the priests work to worship God in the temple on the Sabbath, we too can work to worship God when we Sabbath. But this work is good. This work is refreshing, unlike other work we do. So when you're having a Sabbath, when you're having time of rest... Do you ever take time to pray? Do you ever take time to read your Bible? Do you ever take time to maybe sing a song out to God in praise and worship? That's why if you have Sunday on your Sabbath, you want to make sure you come to church because your day of rest is also for responding and worshipping to God. And this is a fantastic setting to do it with other believers where you get the Bible in you and you get to worship God and hear him speak. We've got one more thing before we look at our last question this morning and that's we do what's right on the Sabbath. In the synagogue that Jesus goes into after the grain incident, there's a guy in there who's got a withered hand. The Pharisees spot him. Now, did the Pharisees offer to help him? No. Did the Pharisees offer to care for him? No. Did the Pharisees offer to run down to the shops, get him some pain medication to help him out because he's, he's struggling, he's in pain? No. Did the Pharisees offer to lay their hands and pray for him? No. He said the Pharisees see this guy and they go, aha, here's someone we can use as bait for Jesus because they had a rule you are not allowed to heal someone with medicine on the Sabbath unless they're right at death's door and only then if you are an immediate family member 
But Jesus, verse 9, going on from that place, he went into the synagogue and there's a man with a shriveled hand and looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, the Pharisees asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And verse 11, he, Jesus, said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls, in, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Jesus here, he decides to give us an everyday example that every single one of us will understand. It's a sheep, your sheep, falling into a pit. Now, I don't know how well you identify with that. I don't know how many people here have got sheep. Anyone got a sheep? No. So we don't really understand this. But imagine maybe the modern equivalent would be a dog in a ditch. Richard like that. It means he won't step in its dog do. Or for you, it might be whatever pet you've got. A cat, goldfish, hamster. Just think of an animal you like and imagine it's fallen in a pit. Surely in that moment... You wouldn't go, oh, I'm having a rest today, I'm not going to help it out. You would stop from your resting, you'd get into the pit, you'd lift it out and you'd give it a hand. What's more, more, more valuable? A sheep, dog, rabbit, guinea pig, hamster, goldfish, whatever pet you're thinking of, an animal or a human being made in the image of God. It's right, Jesus is telling us, to show love, compassion, mercy and kindness to others when we Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day to do what's right, not what's religious. My mum, years and years ago, went to a church, it's an old church, she doesn't go there now, just in case my mum listens online or anyone from my mum's old church or... Anyway, there was a couple in this church who wouldn't go and visit their sick mum or mother-in-law because it was a Sunday, it was the Sabbath. They had a traditional kind of pharisaical view and that would involve travelling on Sunday and it would also involve buying petrol. So they didn't go and visit their sick mum. That's wrong. They've missed the point like the Pharisees. We should look around and see how we can do what's right to others, how we can show what's kind, kindness to others when we're Sabbathing. The Pharisees let religion get in the way of what's right. We can let religion get in the way of doing what's right when we're resting as well. But we can also let ourselves get in the way of doing what's right. We can let other things get in the way. What are you letting get in the way of doing what's right when you're having a rest. What you do week to week might change. One week it might be visit someone who's sick. Another week it might be praying with or for someone. Another week it might just be spending time with friends in the church. So, on the Sabbath we refresh, respond and we do what's right. So let's look at the last question. What does all of this tell us about the real Jesus? Well, verse 15, 
Aware of all this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. Here, Jesus is under the pressures of life, even on the Sabbath. His disciples don't yet fully understand who he is and what he's here to do. He's got all kinds of people badgering him from every direction, asking him for healing, for casting out of demons, for being there for their every need. And at the same time, there's opposition growing. Religious pressure groups are building and stirring up trouble. And Jesus knows where this is all heading. And verse 17 says, This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Matthew wants us to understand and to see the real Jesus so that we can see who he is and what he's done for us so that we can come to him and get that rest, that Sabbath in him. Because Sabbath is found in Jesus, not a day of the week. Matthew wants us to know that the first 14 verses that we've read, it's not just a newspaper article telling us about the day of the life of Jesus. It's not just a a biography, a report about Jesus. It's much more than that. Here, he's about to quote Isaiah chapter 42, and he wants to show us that something amazing is happening Something that should catch our eye and draw us to Christ for rest in him. Verse 18. Here is my servant whom I have chosen. The one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. God here is speaking in the Old Testament through a prophet called Isaiah. And he's saying that Jesus is a suffering servant who delights God, who pleases God, who's filled with the Spirit of God. He's the one who brings the message of justice by correcting wrong ideas and concepts that the Pharisees have about God and the Sabbath. He's the one who brings freedom, joy, delight and rest. Unlike the Pharisees who are bringing about condemnation with law, rules, misery and burdens. Verse 19 says he will not quarrel. Or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. Is Jesus a brawler? Is Jesus a fighter? Is Jesus someone who crushes people into submission? Does he argue with the men around him in anger? Is he the one who says to the Pharisees, You, me, let's take it outside now? Let's settle this like men. No, he will not quarrel, he will not cry out. When the Pharisees plot to kill Jesus in this story, 
Jesus simply withdraws from the synagogue. And when the Pharisees finally go through with their plan, and Jesus is hanging crucified on a cross, dying a sinner's death which he does not deserve, he didn't mumble, he didn't argue, he didn't speak out against them in protest. Jesus didn't come tooled up with the weapons for war. And yet, he brings forth justice. But how does Jesus treat those who are weary, who are tired, and who are in need of rest? Verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break. A smouldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory in his name the nations will put their hope. A reed had loads of uses back then. And there were tons of them about. You could get them everywhere. If you had one that was bruised, you'd simply break it, chuck it away, and get another one. The wick of a candle was incredibly cheap. If that started smoking and smouldering, you'd snuff it out chuck it away, you get a new one. But when Jesus sees us who are struggling, us who are bruised like a reed, who are just smouldering like the wick of a candle, he understands. He identifies. He's been through the pressures of life. He's been through the burdens. He's lived as a man. So he's not going to discard you. He's not going to throw you away. He's not going to snuff you out. He's not going to break you. Instead, he wants to relieve your burdens. He wants to give you rest and restore you. He wants to fan you back into flame. For his burden is light and his yoke is easy. For us to end this morning, I'd love it if everyone could just stand, if you're able to. I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you that we can come to your son, Jesus the one who gives us true rest, the one who relieves us of our burdens and refreshes us and restores us. Father, I pray for everyone here this morning, those who are feeling burdened, those who are feeling bruised, who are just smouldering. I pray that they would come to you for rest. I thank you that you are a God who gives us rest and restoration. Amen. Amen. And I'd like to give a chance for a response. Those of you who are feeling tired, who are feeling burdened, who are feeling in need of rest... I'd love it if you just came down the front 
and we will get people to pray with you. And that also includes those of you who are sick. Jesus did what was right on the Sabbath. He healed that man with a withered hand. So if you're sick this morning, if you're feeling burdened and tired, please just come forward and we'll get some people from the church to pray for you.